Hi, and welcome to episode nine of The Consciously Powerful. Um, this episode, we're going to be talking about some environmentally conscious books, yeah. some really interesting books we've been reading lately. Um, if you weren't here last week, I'm Caroline. I'm a communications major at UW-Whitewater and an engagement intern at the Sustainability Office. And I am Jess. I'm also a comm major through the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, and I'm also an engagement intern. We have a little bit of an internal structural change, so... Our titles are a little bit different, but this is still a podcast brought to you by the University of the Wisconsin Whitewater Sustainability Office. Yeah, and we're happy to be here. Happy to be here. Episode two, technically nine, season two, episode two, whatever. Whatever you want to call it. Um, so we're going to start out this episode with a really good, really good joke. Um, break the ice. Break the ice a little. Jess didn't laugh at this one earlier, but... Um, I too. <laughs> what do you call a zombie cooking stir fry? It's called the Walking Dead. I could have totally ruined that and just gave away the punchline. You could have, but you didn't. I, I appreciate didn't. it. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're cool like that. shout out to my grandma as well as my mom and dad because I know they're probably uh, our only listeners. Probably. <laughs> Hello everybody. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. Shout out to my family as well but I don't think they listen to my podcast so <laughs> it's so important. <laughs> if you do. Hello. Um, last semester, not last semester, let's see when was this? One semester I took a class called Environmental Literature with Joshua Maybe. Huge shout out. I took it with our previous host, Gabby, so she can also speak very highly of this class, but he is a really great professor and it's a really good class, which focuses on environmental literature, which sparked kind of my interest and my love for environmental literature. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So some of the books that we'll be talking about today, I, in fact, most of them I received from this class. And then some of the books I added in on here because I am a huge reader. I love reading books. It's what I spend most of my time doing. Um, so we've got a couple books that aren't exactly environmental books, but like, for example, The Power of Now that we touched on in last week's episode. Mm -hmm. Not exactly an environmental book, more about mental health. And then I did throw one fiction book in here, you know, just to give spice it up a little bit. Right. Well, you read something like 70 books this summer, didn't you? Yes, I am on 71 books. 70 71st. Books. I am on my 71st book of the summer. Um, Every summer I set a reading goal, and I've been increasing it by 15 every year. So last year I read 50 books and was successful reading 50 books. I mean, the last four books I think were all poem books, like super quick read-in-a-day kind of books. Still but counts. It, it really counts. Still counts. Right now, I'm reading 14 Ways to Die. Um, okay. Very morbid book, but yeah. So what's your favorite kind of book to read? Um, I really like nonfiction books. Nonfiction? Um, wow. Yeah, I do like nonfiction books, but like self-help nonfiction books. Okay. So um, not like textbook style? Kind no, of more definitely not. Um, I'd say it's probably between realistic fiction and nonfiction. Because okay. I like crime books, oh. things that could have happened but probably didn't happen and like the eerie little i have a stalker Ugh. kind of books do you ever listen Ugh. to crime podcasts yes shout out morbid podcast 
I'm obsessed with more of a podcast right now. Like, normal people will sit in their apartment and watch TV. No. <laughs> I listen to morbid podcast. Literally, I listen to someone talk about murderers for two hours. Doesn't give you nightmares? No. Hmm. I don't get any nightmares. I've been really trying to get into reading a lot more this summer. Um, unfortunately, I'm terrible at prioritizing things that I want to do and time management. Mm. And the summer went by like this. I think uh, one big thing about books that people struggle with is it's not as easy to sit down and open a book as it is to sit down and turn on the TV. Because well, it's still an active brain thing. It's engaging. And yeah. you can just mindlessly watch the TV without paying attention. Right. But a book, you like actually have to think about it. Right. And you actually have to like visualize and create the story in your head. So it's a lot harder to set aside the emotional availability to do that. Right. Um, especially with nonfiction books, I find that's tough. Making the choice to learn. Yeah. Yeah. It is tough. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like fiction, maybe it's easier because it's more imaginative and creative mm -hmm. and nonfiction, you're learning something which can be hard to digest. Right. It's tough. It is tough. Yeah. Should we get into some of these books that we have right yeah, now? Yeah, I think so. Well, um, this episode is... Accurately named Bookworms and Tree Huggers because Caroline loves books and I want to love books like I used to. <laughs> and we both work for the sustainability office, so we're, you know, always hugging those trees. Tree Huggers. Tree Huggers. One of the most incredible books that I read with this class I touched on, Environmental Literature, um, was Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I've and never read this book. It's really cool. I have it. I should I should loan it to you. you got to read all these books. Yeah. How I'm the bookworm now. Yeah, come on, Jess. I'm giving you the book. Give me in the loop. Yeah. No, it's really good. So she is a member of the Potawatomi Nation, which Whitewater, I don't want to speak out of turn here because I my Native American history in Whitewater is not probably accurate, but I believe Whitewater has some ties to the Potawatomi tribe. Is that right? I think so. Because we have a new hall that was named after a Native American tribe. Mm -hmm. um, Mannequin. Or Mangan. Mang Mangan. We are just butchering this. Yeah, we really are. Yeah. It's okay. But it's really cool to read about how Native American tribes have a connection to nature in a religious aspect and in comparison to, like, the majority of Americans are Christian, and so they believe the story of Adam and Eve. Many mm -hmm. of them do. Many Americans. Which doesn't have a lot to do with nature. I mean... The apple is nature, and Satan is a snake is nature, and God creating the world and the amount of mud, that's all nature. But it's more so on the basis of humans and free will and life than it is about, like, the importance of nature and treating it as a, as a gift right. and a relationship. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. I recently read a book um, going off of the Potawatomi tribe, oh. I read a book called The Firekeeper's Daughter. Okay. And it was about this girl who is half Native American and okay. half white. And she goes through this constant struggle of people not accepting her because she's either Native American or because she's white. So she doesn't fit into either category. And I see you wrote in our instructions here, use your gifts and dreams for good. That's one thing that her grandma says constantly really? over the course of the book. So I wonder if they're there, a little connected. There has to be. Well, because yeah. the entire, those, that, that phrase, use your gifts and dreams for good, comes out of the story of Sky Woman, which is 
the Potawatomi tribe, mm-hmm. what they think is the cre- the beginning of creation of right human life, where she came down from a hole in the sky and she brought a little bottle of sweet grass, and the turtle led her on her back, and then these animals all had to find mud at the bottom of a lake so she could build the land, and she came down to use her gifts and dreams for good. Yeah. And it, then it goes on to talk about the relationship between humans and nature, which maybe the Potawatomi tribe. That's a big lesson in their in their culture. Yeah. That it's not, you know, it's a, oh, what's the word? Different relationships. Oh, shoot. You're on a roll. Uh, when they both benefit from each other. Symbiotic? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Really? I don't know. Probably. Symbiotic relationships? Yeah. So I think that's when they benefit from each other. Symbiotic relationships might be. The word we're looking for. I'd love to have an edit in here of Jess editing this and recording herself saying, actually, it's not to my audience. Just a little clip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So maybe braiding sweetgrass is about the symbiotic relationship between humans and animals and nature and the earth. Whereas in our culture, we tend to see more of a one-sided relationship, for lack of a better word where humans just try to reap the benefits from the yeah. earth and see how we can make money off the earth and what resources we can take from the earth. And we don't really give back to the earth as much as we should, for yeah. sure. I mean, especially with all of the global crisis stuff that's coming out right now, it's really hard to see that we're not giving back to the earth when the earth gives so much to us. I mean, that's how we grow all our food. That's how we get paper. That's our, where our water comes from. Everything we're using is from the earth one way or another. Yeah. I mean, really is amazing. Speaking of going back to the earth, um, in Walden by Henry David Thoreau, um, his whole ideal is to get back to the earth and spend some time away from humanity and be on his own little island. Um, I know we talked about Walden last episode, but we had to throw it in here. I mean, it's a classic. Classic environmental literature. Classic environmental book. Probably, you know, maybe the start of environmental literature as we know it. Honestly. I mean, he really went through that wilderness experiment to try and better his life and better humanity's lives. He did. And we talked about this last episode, but, I mean, imagine us doing that. It was so much easier for him to drop everything and go out and right. build a life in the woods. But now it's I'd need a there are people charger. who do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would need a microwave probably. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my stove? Right? So now I give even more props to the people nowadays who kind of give up that lifestyle that we are used to and go out and live off the land, so to speak, because yeah. I think we're so much less used to it. Especially when winter comes along. Oh, my God. Like, what are you supposed to do? Well, anything, like food, using the bathroom, cleaning yourself. It's just so... It's so crazy. Crazy to think about. <laughs> Good for them. It really is, yeah. Good for them. Um, another book that kind of created this pinnacle of environmental literature as we know it, was Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. That's kind of one of the big books that you learn about if you take any sort of environmental Environmental, class, right? Definitely. So she talked about the effects of, not DMT. (laughs) (laughs) Not DMT. So she talks about the toxic uh, impact of pesticides and describes the effects on both animals and humans. I can't remember the name of the it's pesticide. It's not DMT, either. but it's, it's a not D, right? DMT. D- DDT. DDT. Yeah. Pesticide called DDT, and essentially it was killing birds. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, if it's not good for birds, it's probably not good for us. 
Right. And you see parallels between that and real world stuff. Like my parents raised us really against things like spraying your lawn mm-hmm. for pesticides and bugs and stuff because you think like if if you go up north, you'll see these signs for like mosquito police and essentially companies who use pesticides to get rid of right. mosquitoes. And you think like if this kills mosquitoes, it probably is not good for us. Right. Yeah. Um, in my family, actually, we had a really bad mosquito problem two years ago. Really? And my dad put praying mantis eggs in our backyard because supposedly they would eat all the mosquitoes. Really? Yeah. So like a natural form of pesticide. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Praying and man- what do you even acquire praying mantis eggs? I have no idea. His <laughs> friend brought them over and they That's were just right? like these walnut looking eggs. Really? Yeah. So did you, was your yard like swarming with praying mantises? Honestly, or? I went to college before I could uh, see the result, but I bet. Yeah. Because one of those eggs I think is like 400 praying mantis. Holy. Or Holy. something crazy like that. Like, it's a what? lot. Those are kind of creepy bugs. Yeah. Wow. It definitely creepy bugs. Speaking of bugs, Caroline was really brave before we recorded this episode, and she mercilessly slayed a stink bug. I really did. I have recently got over my fear. Well, I shouldn't say got over. I have made progress okay. against my fear with bugs. You did really well. The other day, I picked up a spider by its leg. And you did. had a conversation. Was it like um, a daddy long leg? Yes. Okay, so they have long legs, so it's easier right. to Right, yeah. To I picked him up by his leg. I was like, you don't belong here. Wow. Did you put him outside? Outside. Wow, that's yeah. nice. I walked him all the way down the stairs of my apartment. Really? Yep. Maybe he was just looking for a friend. Probably. You know? It's really incredible, especially when your job for the summer kind of... Yeah. Saw a lot of bugs. For those of you who don't know, my job over the summer, I was working with the grounds crew at the university uh, and with the sustainability office, but more with the grounds crew than anything. And I dealt with so many bugs, it was not even funny. What kind of bugs? Like bees, wasps, worms, stink bugs, spiders, (sighs) like so many bugs. And like fire ants. Ooh. Like when I tell you I had like 50 ants in my shoe when I got home. I never wore short socks to work again. Yeah. Like, these bugs decided to make a home in my shoe. Oh, my God. Well, what about, wasn't it tick season pretty bad? Oh, yeah. Did I also got ticks? four ticks this year. Four? That's actually four not terrible. Not terrible, but I've never had a tick in my life before then, that. Yeah. So it was definitely scary. Yeah. They're yeah. freaky little creatures. Yeah. I definitely am not a fan of bugs, but I'm getting better about it. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, you're going to get worse as you transition to your engagement position when, yeah. you know, there are stink bugs in here, and I'm, like, freaking out, so. It's okay. I will exterminate me. them for you. You'll be our local exterminator. Yes. Yes. I'm definitely kind of um, a joke for the sustainability office because I hate bugs. I don't spend much time outside. I, some, you know, I do. But but not as much not as. Not as much as I should. Right. Because I work inside, but. So, you know, I'm kind of envious of your experience outside with those of my outdoor little critters and. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of a big deal or whatever. Yeah. Well, if you ever need someone to work inside, I'm your You're girl. You're my girl. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. All no, I do no. is work outside. So. No, I would like to try it for sure. I've just never really, you know, had the opportunity to work in the manual labor sort of right thing. Once you do it, you'll never want to do it again. Oh, really? Yeah. You think it's bad? It's tough work. Oh, it's hard work. I mean, easily. it's it's arguably way harder than any office work that you could do. Oh yeah, I mean, I guess in different ways. I had merciless sunburns. Like, oh, yeah. I did work with an awesome group of men. Like, 
that it's like an oxymoron (laughs) yeah i don't know how to say that without sounding creepy but i had some awesome supervisors this year like as much as i didn't really love working outside all day every day and getting sunburned yeah uh, my coworkers definitely made the most of it so if you're gonna do an outside landscaping job definitely get close to the people you're working with and make friends that's great advice yeah i mean yeah i worked with a bunch of like men in their late 20s and some of them were probably in their early 60s but oh sure sure. (laughs) but you know like i made the best of it and it was a great experience overall i learned how to do a lot of awesome stuff that is great very applicable to the real world too yeah definitely you know you have your own house one day and you can just bust out a garden like that literally just like that. I mean, probably not just like that. Just like, like that. Well, I'll probably cry about it for a minute. Sure. You know. And then get back on it. If I ever need to start, like, an Instagram page for some sort of... Garden. Garden. Just let me know. I'm your girl. Just let me know. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Okay. Different opportunities are different for, you know, everything is important in its own way, so... Yeah. Uh, we love but it's definitely also that. important to go outside of your box learn new things yeah try new things read new books it is very important it i is. mean reading new books is a big thing yeah it's important to expand your knowledge and it is grow and talking about reading new books you know you talk about environmental literature in the very classic sense like walden and silent spring and those are really insightful great books but they often neglect the identities and viewpoints of certain minority groups. Yes. Like Brady Sweetgrass talks about the Native American perspective of nature, which is great. And The Home Place by J. Drew Lanham. Yeah, it does have a second title, uh, Memoirs of a Colored Man's Love Affair with Nature. Right. Um, gives away what it's about. Yeah, I really am excited to read this book. Jess actually brought it for me to start reading, so... I haven't read it yet. I don't really have much to say, but I think it'd be very interesting to learn. When you think of the environmental field, it can be whitewashed and... It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be, you know? No. Like that one girl, woman, Emily Ford, who walked the ice trail. The Ice Age ice Trail. Ice Age Trail. Yes. 1,200 miles, right? Yes. By herself. She walked it all by herself. With her dog. Yeah. And uh, that's actually another book that we were talking about, uh, The Thousand Miler. There's a book about it. I didn't even know. There's a book about it. Yes, it's a different woman, but she did the same stretch, and she actually started in Whitewater. Oh, really? Which is pretty interesting. Did Emily Ford start in Whitewater, too, or did she just come through Whitewater? She just came through Whitewater. Okay, that's really cool. I mean, feel free to fact check me on that. Sure. Yeah, and it's also, there's something to be said about how whitewashed the environmental community is. Um... Lanham, Lanham, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Um, he was really, it seems from the um, summary that I'm reading, that he was in love with words and nature, and he just really loved making the most of everything. And um, he really wanted to make a place in nature for people of color, people who are minorities. Everyone plays their part, and there definitely needs to be more exposure for minorities and for people of color and for people who are not typically given the space to enjoy the environment in the same regards. Yeah. They deserve the space to enjoy it in the same way and to talk about it. So this whole episode is kind of, you know, 
a book recommendation in itself. Right. So, yes. I definitely would recommend that book. So, another book that is really interesting that I actually was lent by Wes, um, our supervisor, our boss, um, is The Unsettlers by Mark Sundin. Sundin. Um, this book is basically about a man who travels all around the country looking at everyone's different ways of living. What's this one called? The Unsettlers. The Unsettlers. Yes. So what he, it's kind of like a personal narrative kind of thing? Yes, it's a personal narrative kind of thing. He drives around and learns all about how people live, how people live in communes, how people live on the road, how people live in the suburbs, how people live in the city. And he's trying to establish what the best way to live is. That's interesting. By the end of the book, he really realizes that there is no perfect way to live. We're kind of all just living whatever way we find comfortable. I love that. And van life is very big right now. It's I huge. Mean, big trend. It's a big trend. And Although, I, people don't realize how hard it is. It's easy to see a video and glamorize it and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to leave and go live in a van. But I mean, it's probably incredibly difficult. Yeah. If you think about all the little things that go into living in a vehicle that you don't have to deal with if you live in a house. Right, exactly. I mean, for example, in a van, you probably only have room for one or two people or one person and a dog. And minimal things. And you don't really have a place to call home. Right. I mean... The nomad life. The nomad life is a tough life. Mm -hmm. And one big part of this book was him trying to de-romanticize van life. I like that. And how... It's actually hard, and people struggle. People run out of money. Right. And it's not as glamorous as everyone thinks it is. Right. It's really easy to go on TikTok or Instagram and see someone either living in a mansion or living in a van or living in a commune and say, wow, that looks amazing. I'm so jealous. But for any way of life, there is always going to be an issue. Yeah. Though they might not be the same all around. It's kind of unrealistic to glamorize someone else's life. Speaking of glamorizing lives, um, in The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna, the husband in the book has a problem where he constantly glamorizes everyone's lives. Hmm. He constantly is unhappy where he is, so he moves the entire family to Alaska to live off the grid and live off the land. Is this a true story? No, I don't believe so. This is the fiction book that I threw in. Um, Trigger warning, it does have some domestic abuse and violence. um, But it has a happy ending, if it makes you feel better. Good. Well, that sounds like a really interesting book. The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna, you said? Yes, and Kristen Hanna is actually one of my favorite authors. She's very descriptive. She's a wonderful writer. Cool. She's written a lot. The Nightingale. um, A couple others that I can't remember right now, Um, but The Great Alone. It's a great book. The Great Alone. It's a great book. Um, Another book, another book slash movie I hope all of our viewers have read slash watched is The Lorax by Dr. Seuss. We won't go into who he is as an author or a person. But he did write some very good books. But he did. He did. Um, The Lorax, if you haven't seen it or read it. Yeah, give a quick summary. It's this little orange gremlin man who hops out of tree stumps and speaks for the trees. He is the Lorax. He really is. He's the Lorax. He speaks for the trees, for the trees have no tongues. And he he fights against the deforestation and the loss of the truffula trees. Right. 
So, like, we have our forests that are being cut down and where the Amazon, I think, Everywhere, is our probably. biggest culprit. I saw um, a statistic that said we are experiencing deforestation at a rate of 30% per year, like, loss oh my God. of 30% of our forests. I also, um, don't quote me, that feels like a horribly wrong statistic, but <laughs> regardless, there is, we're experiencing some deforestation, like, in the book, so some pretty true parallels between the book and real life, like Caroline said. Yeah. Deforestation. And the whole premise of the movie is there's this, or book, of the book, is there's this man who moves out to kind of the middle of nowhere type scene. And he harvests the material from the truffle tree to mix a sweater. Right. He calls it a... Thneed. A thneed, you're right. He calls it a thneed. He calls it a thneed. So it's a sweater, it's a whole, it's a versatile piece of material that he gets from these truffle trees. Yes. And then he makes it into a business model. And eventually, his family and he are cutting down all these truffle trees to make these thneeds. And then there's flashbacks into the future. Flash forwards. Flash forwards. Flash forwards, where there's a thneed bill where these people live based on these thneeds. And so eventually they cut down all the truffle trees, the very last one. And then their businesses start creating the smogulous smog. Yes. The smogulous smog. Air the pollution. smogulous smog is air pollution. And they also create pollution in the lakes and yep. the rivers, the streams. And the animals all have to move away. All the animals hop up and walk on their little fishtails. And, and the little bears, they move away. And the birds they all fly. move away. And, and honestly, that's where we're headed. That is. It's so sad. It's kind of sad to watch because you see the parallels. In Thneedville, eventually there's this man, this Mayor Thneedville. I can't remember his name. Remember the guy with the Lord Frogbaugh looking guy? Yeah. Right? He starts to sell air because there's no trees to produce oxygen, which I don't know if they know that they needed trees. Needed trees. I don't know what the education level was there in, in I, I think there was no education None. level. So for yeah. some reason, they, they oh, they didn't know about trees. Mm-hmm. So they didn't know that trees produced oxygen. I think there was a conspiracy, though, that um, the oh. mayor knew. Oh, definitely. But he didn't want the other yeah, people to know, he so definitely. he was like, this is how we get air. And he, I bottle it thought, for you, and you need me. Yeah, he, maybe they didn't know that trees produced air. Right. In the movie, the guy, um, the main character, he runs out of thieve, out, out of thieve. <laughs> Trouble trees? <laughs> he runs out of Needville and he meets the Lorax. Oh, yeah. Well, Remember? he's trying to impress this girl who paints trees, yes. murals of trees. And then for some reason, his granny tells him about the Onceler, is the man who yes, is in charge of the all of Onceler. these. The Onceler. And the Onceler is the one who created the Thneeds. Yes. The Onceler created the Thneeds. And the Lorax was telling the Onceler. You can't do this. Nah, man. This is not good for the environment. You can't be doing this. And then eventually, this boy, whatever his name is, he gets one the one last truffle seed from the one yes. slug. The one slug gives it to him. He says, unless someone like you cares a whole lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. And so he happened to care about the trees for the sake of this girl, I think. But it worked out for the town. It worked out for the rest of them. So eventually he had to convince them all that these trees were good and that this guy was a corrupt man who just wanted to make money. Yeah, and he was right. And then he dug a hole in the middle of the town. And they sang. And they sang, let it grow. They did. Fantastic. Because someone like him cared a whole awful lot. And now it's going to get better. And that's just like us. Unless a whole bunch of us care a whole lot. It's not going to get better. It's It's not. not. (laughs) 
But we care. But in all seriousness, we do need to care. And it feels, it can feel like the world is against you and no matter what you do, nothing's going to get better, but everything counts. Everything counts. And uh, reading some of these books can help broaden your horizons and your informational spectrum on not only the environment, but also your impact on yourself and your living situation and how you can do better by simply recycling or paying attention to the people around you. Even just educating yourself. Yes. One step. Education is half the battle. Education is half the battle, and now with the internet, it's a lot easier to educate yourself, so... Just Google it. Go out there, just Google it. Just Google it. And read some of these books, too. Yeah, read a book. Read a book. If you're looking for some fiction recommendations, uh, Look What You Made Me Do is a really good book. Um... That's uh, pretty much all I got right now off the top of my head. We Were Liars. That's a really good one, too. The Alchemist by... The Alchemist is really good. Paul Coelho. Yeah, if you have any book recommendations yourself, drop them on our Instagram account or our Twitter or anything, really. Email us. Yeah. Follow UWW Sustainability on Twitter. And maybe we can get a little Q&A section going. Yeah, yeah. Let us know what else you want to hear about. Yeah, we'd love your feedback. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Consciously Powerful. And welcome back, fall 2021. It is actually my last semester. I am, I'm graduating the semester early, so I'm going to make these four months count. And then Caroline's going to have to find a new host. Recruit someone else. Yeah. But good luck this semester. Yes, and thank you for listening. And remember, unless someone like you cares a whole lot, nothing's going to get better. It's not. The Sustainability Office at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater created this podcast to provide students serving internships with our office to get experience exploring sustainability-related topics in an open and free-flowing exchange of ideas and opinions. All opinions represented in this podcast by the participants, including program hosts and guests, are solely their current opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Participants' opinions are based upon information they consider reliable, but the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater does not warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such.